This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the 2010 Season 2 of the Darker Days Podcast, episode number 15. I am one of your hosts, Vince, the excellence of execution, along with my co-host, Mark, the Wear Chicken. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Season 2. Darker Days back on the air once more. Great to be here. Finally, right? Yeah. <laughs> Long overdue. Definitely. Uh, so we had some wonderful holidays coming up here in the States. We had Christmas. Uh, we had the New Year. You guys had the New Year over there as well, except a little bit later than me. So, ha. Huh. A little bit sooner. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, we do thank everyone for staying alive with us because we're not dead. We're here. And just yeah, great to see the forum stayed active over the holiday period. Excellent. Some nice little uh, snow and fireworks there from... Uh, uh, from our uh, our guardian angel, Kim Possible. Outstanding. She's doing an excellent job. She's actually working on the forums right now with me. We're going to be changing things up a little bit again. And uh, we're probably going to be dropping the front page and just making it like a portal thing. But we'll, we'll see about that. I saw, the, I saw the preview of that. It looked outstanding. Much, much easier to use. Very intuitive. Everything laid out for you right there on one page. Good yeah, stuff. She's a she's a real genius when it comes to those forums. I, don't, I, I, I go, huh, when I look at them. So I'm glad that she's uh, around to assist and say you idiot this is how you do it <laughs> <laughs> so we've uh looking around on itunes we've got a bunch of reviews i mean tons of reviews five-star reviews and someone actually gave us a four-star review but we won't focus on that because we don't care but the five-star reviews is what we care about and we really appreciate that and uh we've actually reached the front page for gaming on the podbean site so uh that's good mark we're in the top 10 as far as the gaming podcast on podbean isn't that awesome <laughs> That's outstanding. In less than a year as well, uh, how far we've come from our humble beginnings. Uh, thank you very much to our listeners for uh, showing your appreciation. It is uh, mutually appreciated. And uh, if you want to take some time and go over to the Podbean site and just do a quick register and subscribe to our podcast through Podbean, that puts us up further up on the front page, which we did get featured on once around Christmas, Mark, on the front page of Podbean. Who could ask for more? Santa brings blessings, does he not? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so we've been gone for a while, Mark, uh, and I, I guess your refreshing finger should be a little bit better now. So what do we got in that mailbag? Right, well, a handful of mail has uh, come in over the holiday season. Uh, first up is a mail from Vergast, who oh. produced our most recent Darkling, if you may remember. Mark. Came out just before Christmas. I just have to interrupt you one second. Dad, uh, What's that? Speaking of mail, I did get a, a very serious letter, email, from a certain publishing company that some very bad news, but uh, I just wanted to tell uh, the listeners out there that you know there might be some changes on Darker Days in the near future. I mean, I can't really say much about it, Mark. I was only able to give it to you since you were a co-host of the yeah, show. Yeah, well, uh, I think the less said about that, the better, and we'll, uh, we'll yes, we'll broach that subject when the time is right. Yeah, it is. Not, we're, I, I shouldn't say any more. There's an NDA. Okay, no, an NDA so on go on with the Go on, go ahead, Mark. Anyway, Vargas, yes, as you uh, as you may or may not know, produced our most recent Darkling on the uh, the Mummy games. He's uh, sent in some cool advice on when to use dice in the game and when just to let players succeed without rolling. Uh, he sent in a couple of items like this. Um, we'll be spotlighting those in a storyteller advice segment soon. 
Uh, Quincy Forder wrote in looking for some mage-specific advice, namely on how to create rotes from a narrative standpoint rather than a rules standpoint. What story-related issues might you have to go through to work on those rotes? And also he's looking for ideas on how to portray or represent the supernal realms in-game. Now we've added those to the list of things to address in our next mage special when that rolls around. Okay. Aaron Frantal asked whether Hero Lab, which you mentioned a short while back, uh, Vince, can yeah. be used with Old World of Darkness as well as New World of Darkness. Now, the short answer there is no. It's for New World of Darkness only. Right. If you do find an earlier version of Hero Lab, it did work with Old World of Darkness, but I don't think you could find those anywhere. Uh, Alan Smithy, I love the name, <laughs> uh, he wrote in with a, a link to a cool online library service called Library Thing. It allows you to catalogue your personal book collection and assign all kinds of metadata to the records, such as tags, series statements, locales, and characters mentioned in the book. Alan has been working on the latter recently, adding the signature characters to mostly Old World of Darkness books, and he thought it might be kind of fun to make it a regular segment on the show, going back and assessing the deeds of Anatole, Beckett, Mary Cardath, and the like. So, um, yeah, let us know what you think of that. He's entered everyone's favorite Samuel Haight into the database, so if you want to check out all of Sammy's appearances, go to librarything.com slash character slash Samuel Haight. And uh, finally, Malleus has sent in some incredible music for us to use on the show. Keep your ears peeled, and you might well be hearing some of that sooner rather than later. Talented guy, great stuff. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, and as always, shout-outs to the newest members of the forums, Lost Heretic, Dekai, Guillotine, Wizen GM, Zanshin, Dante PD, Madge, and Bohika, <laughs> <laughs> which occupies the new number one slot as my favorite username ever. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, just want to uh, say one more thing. Uh, I noticed that on our Podbean site, some people left some comments, and uh, one of our one of the comments was by Mr. Phil Wheatley, the uh, the sponsor of uh, the Darker Days podcast this week. Yes, and inclusive like to, billionaire Phil Wheatley. That's right. We'd like to say thank you again. And anyone who wants to just check him out, uh, just look up Phil's uh, name on the forums and send him an email, and he'll be happy to answer any questions for you. He does run his own business. Uh, and he's uh, going to be advertising with us on the website really soon, so uh, we look forward to doing that. And be I, cool to see. Yeah. And uh, I noticed that Ed Healy left us a comment that on the first podcast we ever did and said, wow, you guys have uh, come a long way. You down, totally, he said we sounded a lot different back then. Wow. Well, Ed Healy, if uh, anyone may remember, was the guy who gave us some great exposure on examiner.com, which helped really propel the podcast uh, out into the public eye. So uh, thanks for that, Ed, and uh, thanks for the comment, too. We are, we really appreciate that, and uh, and uh, yeah, you can listen to Ed Healy on his podcast, uh, Open Design Podcast, I believe it's called, Mark, and uh, it's about I think uh, that's yeah, yeah, it's about D and D three point five edition and uh, Pathfinder, which is uh, Pathfinder is kind of interesting. I don't know if you ever picked that up and looked at it once or twice. I'm running a Pathfinder campaign uh, again shortly. Was doing it a lot last year. Yeah, it's a good system. Good is stuff. It, is it a lot like the Dungeons and Dragons third edition uh, system? Yeah, it's D- it's D and D three point six, but uh, it's you know, a little bit tightened up, a little bit smoothed over, and uh, done with Paizo's incredible eye to detail. And you know, they're a great company, so a lot of love for them. Oh, great! Well, just check them out. He has a great cast. I know he had a bunch of a bunch of the authors on there, like he had Jeff Grubb, Ed Greenwood, things like that on there. So check them out and see how you know see how that works out for you. But anyway, let's move on. We have some uh, news to go to. WGPRN News, in-depth. 
Yeah, now, um, regular and uh, attentive listeners will know that uh, the Darkling podcast number five was released just before Christmas. That was put together by Vergast, and it covers the various treatments of mummies in the old world of darkness, from the origins as a vampire supplement to the second edition splat book, all the way through to Mummy the Resurrection line. Very cool. Very cool indeed. And that was uh, a solo outing by you, uh, Vince, I believe. So, uh, yeah. not, not bad going there. Not bad going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're not going to say the Snyder comment you had on the notes there, Mark, huh? <laughs> Go ahead. Why don't you? There's always room for improvement, Vince. There yeah, always is. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, what we, we also had a Mirage Arcana that came out with number two. Mm. So uh, check it out. Download them. Uh, what is their website? MirageArcana.com? Or they, they're, they're on Podbean. I know that. I don't, yeah. think, uh, I don't think Adrian actually has a website for them just yet. No, but it's a, it's a good episode. The guys cover their favorite spells in episode number two. It's, uh, it's very good. And there's a new thing from Liquid Weird, too, I saw. Oh, yeah. Um, I listened to this, uh, I think, last week, actually. I finally got a chance to listen to it, and it was well done. I uh, actually was, when Mark was, it was like over an hour, maybe hour and 15, maybe a little around there. And awesome. I was like, wow, Mark was by himself the whole time. And he did keep my attention the whole time, and I was actually, well, after I'm listening to it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. It was a review of Vampire, pretty much. He went through the comparisons of new and old uh, Vampire, so it was really good. Yeah, it's good to hear a solid, sensible, well-balanced comparison of the various pros and cons of each iteration of the game. Uh, worth a listen. And great to hear more material from Mark. And he says he's got more stuff coming too, soon, so uh, looking forward to that. I always look forward to Mark's uh, stuff, cause especially because he goes to a lot of conventions in his area, and I like to hear what's going on in those local conventions. It's always fun. Indeed. I've got a little bit of news from a White Wolf as well. Um, White Wolf's, uh, their World of Darkness community developer, Shane DeFriest, will be attending One World by Night's Midwinter Convention this weekend. That's uh, January the 15th and 17th in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, the convention is celebrating its 10th anniversary, a Midwinter X is a convention that fans of the original World of Darkness should not miss out on. White Wolf will be bringing their first Succubus Club party of 2010 to the con, which is worth going to see, if nothing else. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what, uh, what comes out at, uh, at that particular convention. Yeah, really. And there's also a new release for the Exalted line. Material that was cut from the Compass of Terrestrial Directions Volume 2, The Wild, has been released at Drive RPG. It's called Splinters of the Wild and is a PDF exclusive book covering new locations for the northern, western, southern, and eastern wild. More mutations and derangements, more creatures and characters, and the exalted reincarnation of Samuel Haight. Hmm. Well, okay, I, I made the bit up about Samuel Haight, but the rest ah. of it's true. Mark, you bad man, you. Now everybody's going to start emailing you about that. You know that. Hey, man, that's White Wolf's problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, worth, that's worth checking out. Uh, it's a PDF exclusive at Drive RPG. So, uh, yeah, get that one uh, onto your computers, guys, and get playing. All right, let's uh, move on to the f- secret frequency. Well, this is the secret frequency with Mark. Uh, as you probably already heard, I already screwed up the bumper while Mark was talking because he wasn't supposed to be talking. But uh, anyway, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> well, we tuned into the secret frequency uh, in 2010 <laughs> to learn about death for medicinal purposes. Uh, I mentioned this in the mailbag of last show. This is a story that was submitted by Mike Buono. Couldn't wait to share it. The story centers around Ling Songzhu from the southwestern province of Sichuan in China. 
Now, Lynn's daughter had been suffering from psychiatric problems for years. And so, Lynn, she did what uh, any loving mother would do in the situation. She organized for a man to be killed and then made soup from his head in the belief that the broth would cure her daughter's illness. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, you know, who, who wouldn't? On the, you, know, you can't really blame her. She was presumably desperate to help her 25-year-old daughter who had suffered from mental illness for years. A new line of camels. Well, yeah. On the other hand, well, let's just say, you know, you can't pop into your corner grocery store and buy a man head. Uh, the implications there are pretty obvious. Well, you can do here. Oh, never mind. <laughs> America, where everything is for sale. That's right. Uh, Lynn and her husband hired a hitman to knock unconscious and then behead a 76-year-old drunk. <laughs> the, uh, the parents then cooked up some delicious soup made from the victim's head and uh, some duck, too, in the soup because, you know, everybody likes duck soup. Unsurprisingly, though, their crime did not go undetected. The murderer was sentenced to death uh, with a two-year reprieve and Lim was convicted of helping to destroy the evidence, which included the culprit's bloody clothes and shoes. Now, the murderer's reprieve means that this, his sentence will likely be commuted to life in prison as long as he commits no further offences in the next two years and keeps his head about him. Of course, uh, the story was met with outrage and disbelief from all who heard it. And not only that, but Petter complained that there was duck in the soup. Oh. <laughs> they had nothing better to do that day? I just, I love that point. God. <laughs> so, who knows where uh, Lin Song Chu's information came from? but someone somewhere had informed her that soup made from a man's head was a remedy for psychiatric problems. Not only did Miss Lin believe this nugget of folk wisdom, but she decided to put it to the test and talk about faith in the power of medicine. Now, this creepy but cool story also ties into a submission that Law shared on the forums the other week. Uh, in the submission that she put up, there's a apparently human sacrifice on the rise in Uganda, where witch doctors have started admitting to using body parts in medicinal and sorcerous rituals. I knew it. <laughs> Go on. Those wacky witch doctors. Yeah. Uh, one of them said he had had clients who had captured children and taken their blood and body parts to his shrine, while another confessed to killing at least 70 people, including his own son. According to officials who are trying to tackle the problem, this crime is directly linked to rising levels of development and prosperity, and an increasing belief that witchcraft can help people get rich quickly. One reformed witch doctor said that his clients go and capture other people's children. They bring the heart and blood to him in small tins, and they place these objects under a tree from which the voices of spirits are emanating. Mm -hmm. Now, as with many of these stories, these nuggets of shocking human tragedy are just begging to be used in the frivolous pursuit of better gaming. Uh, to which point, several elements really stand out. Firstly, there's the strength of belief that these actions portray. Mage the Ascension, for example, used to go on about places in the world where a non-scientific paradigm still held sway. And you can want for no better example of that than this. People who genuinely believe that murder and dismemberment will yield tangible results through the power of ritual or herbal infusion. So here's a great way to display this kind of belief in game in a way that comes with ready-made drama and plot hooks attached. But of course, in the world of darkness, these things may well have some basis in truth. What was so special about the beheaded man that made the super cure for mental illness? Was he really just some random drunk? Where did Lynn get her information? What if she was told to look for a specific hitman who would get her what she needed? 
an assassin wise in the ways of the shadow world who could procure for her the brains of a mage, a shifter, a sin eater, a materialized spirit or umbrood. What if Lynn was really a mage or sorcerer of some kind, hoping to help her daughter complete a flawed awakening? Or perhaps she was a ghoul and sought the head of a vampire to initiate her daughter into a bizarre ghoul cult. And uh, as for the witch doctors, I find the idea of that tree fascinating. Locals believe that the voices of spirits would emanate from it and grant them boons in return for the blood and body parts of the innocent. How far could you go with that? A vampire buried beneath its roots, seeking blood to win its freedom? A place where the spirit world bleeds over into the material and hungry entities demand sustenance in return for favors? Brain. And oh yeah, well, for mortal games, these are real gems. Have the mortal player characters uncover events like this and uh, try to puzzle it out. Plays plays out much like that uh, awesome kidney thief adventure in Urban Legends that I'm always banging on about. Oh yeah, yeah. Or uh, play the flip side and have the supernatural player characters discover this kind of thing and race to uncover the truth, only to discover that there's nothing supernatural behind it at all, just good old-fashioned human craziness have it involve someone close to them and now they have to deal with very human failings on their own terms so go on get your notebooks out brew yourself some soup and get plotting and whatever you do don't lose your head nice ending there Mark <laughs> but thank you thank you I'll be here all week please try the veal wow alright good evening this is Beckett and you're listening to the Darker Days podcast brought to you by Wild Games Productions Radio Network a podcast about everything World of Darkness, both old and new. Delve into the secrets and unearth the mysteries. Or just see what the shadowy side of gaming might have to offer. Classic World of Darkness. Alright, Mark, looks like we're going to move into the Classic World of Darkness section this week. What do you got for us? Well, um, we're going to develop and riff on some ideas that were described in Vergast's Darkling from just before the holidays, specifically mm. to do with the mummy games. We're going to look at some NPCs and some plot ideas and look at how you can introduce this into your game on varying levels of scope. Okay. So, mummies. Once mortal humans who have undergone the spell of life that makes them immortal. They cannot die. Or rather, when they do die, their spirits wander the underworld while their bodies regenerate. Eventually, they are returned to life with all or most of their powers and memories intact. So here we're going to present some ways to actually use creatures like that in-game as player characters, non-player characters, antagonists, and so on and so forth. Now, although we're focusing on the old world of darkness here, many of these ideas translate across to the new world of darkness with ease. Perhaps the most obvious use of a mummy as a non-player character is as a long-term ally, mentor, lover, enemy. You can have them die over and over again, only to return when needed. If you're going to do so, though, you really should have some kind of focus or motivation for the character in question. Although it's fun to have a mummy that just sort of floats down the centuries, a character like that becomes all the more compelling when you give him or her a goal that spans those centuries. That's what sets mummies apart, after all, this immense span of time of which they can have been active. So maybe this is something simple, like he was the lover of your vampire sire and has sworn to protect all of her offspring following the sire's destruction. Maybe the mummy is your character's ancestor, mortal ancestor, who was since mummified in ages past. Maybe the uh, creature behaves like a family ghost, uh, like in Anne Rice's Witching Hour novel, 
Maybe you have two such creatures maneuvering against each other over the millennia, using vampires and other supernaturals as their pawns. It's always good to have something in-game that can put vampire elders in their place. Yep. Now, you can expand the scope of this, of course. Uh, the mummy literature as published has a group called the Shemsuharu, the followers of Horus, ancient mummies who came into existence in pre-dynastic Egypt. So we're going back 3,500, 4,000 BC and earlier. They're based on, uh, historically speaking, the legendary kings of Egypt who supposedly date back to the first times when the gods walked the earth. And the uh, Egyptian creation myth, of one of them at least, has the earth coming into being when f- immense world-covering flood waters recede. So in the old world of darkness, this can take us back to the time of the flood, uh, to the first city, or Atlantis if you are so inclined. And this allows you to have a group that dates back to the truly ancient days of the world. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a mummy who is 12,000 years old. The last of the Shemsuharu came into existence uh, about 5,500 years ago, with their lineage dating back before that. So you could have one of the, uh, the younger of the group, for example. And we used this in game in a, a Dark Ages game that I ran. Mm-hmm. We had the idea that the Shemsuharu acted in a line of succession, with only one active in the world at any given time the youngest, most recently created. So, for example, as time passed, and the mummy became more and more anachronistic as the world moved on centuries from uh, the time during which he was born, the mummy in question would grant the spell of life to another, creating its successor, and it would then retire into the underworld to Amenti. Its lore would then be passed on, and the successor would take its place, continuing to carry out the agenda of the Shemsuharu in the mortal world. So this then allows you to have creatures that don't necessarily hail from before the dawn of recorded civilization or from the pre-Stone Age era, but nevertheless can possess lore and information, connections and narrative resonances that date back to that time. And as for their agenda, we made sure that it was something suitably epic in scope. Over time, we reasoned, mummies might begin to see patterns in history, in the ways that certain souls or avatars are incarnated and reincarnated. This allowed us to tie the game's plot lines into the sweep of myth and history. Flood myths, for example, are a common theme in many cultures. One other myth in particular recurs throughout the world, that of the Warring Brothers or the First Kinslaying. Cain and Abel are a familiar example, of course. But also, so are Set and Osiris, with whom the mummy origin is so closely tied, Romulus and Remus, who founded Rome, Sir Balin and Sir Balan from the King Arthur stories, uh, Pandavas and Karna from Vedic literature, Lycaon, Deucalion, Ixion uh, from Greek myth, all of these echoing the same story, kinslaying and then divine retribution. So for the Shamsuheru, these repeated myths and repeating myths can be seen as the reincarnation of souls tied together by some primordial bond playing out the same dramas over successive centuries and millennia. For the Shemsuharu, Cain and Abel could have been reborn as Set and Osiris, or as Arthur and Mordred. All these events could be just echoes of some deeper thing that casts shadows across the face of the world, some struggle happening deep in the Umbra or the supernal realms, of which only reflections are seen in the actions of mortals in the material realm. Taking the motivations of the Shemsuharu to this level allows them to operate on a level so far removed from human history that the rise and fall of civilizations are merely footnotes to the true drama of ancient souls. And that gives you a great backdrop against which to set 
the activities of the mummies. And whenever you encounter one of these creatures, of course, it immediately is going to feel like something so very much removed from the world in which your game operates. And it also allows you to plug in your own stories as minor perturbations that can draw the momentary attention of one of the truly ancient and uh, have them step into your characters' lives, something like the uh, effect of a passing hurricane. Now, as antagonists, of course, mummies are just as potent. The, uh, the mummy game features a group called the Bane Mummies, um, who are basically evil mummies of the worm. Uh, little detail is given on them, uh, and there's not much to make them believable enemies. So you might want to set them against an organization like the Shemsu Heru. Riffing on the ideas we've uh, developed just now, perhaps the Shemsu Heru believe that the cycle of myths needs to endure, repeating itself throughout time. Maybe it's a way that the world tells stories to itself, preserving the great truths of existence from one age of creation to another. The Bane Mummies, or some other antagonistic faction for the Reborn, might seek to interrupt this cycle, or corrupt it. And this can turn the expectations of your players on their heads. For example, um, a second deluge threatens the world, just to put it on a really exaggerated scale. Uh, the Shemsi Haru might wish to ensure it takes place. It's needed for the renewal of the world's natural cycle of being. Bane mummies could seek to prevent this apocalypse, or this Gehenna, if you like, and so ensure that the great cycle of being is perverted. Now, your player characters could find themselves trying to avert a cataclysm, only to realize that in doing so, they're fighting for the wrong side. <laughs> for less powerful antagonists, you might decide that mummies have given lesser versions of the spell of life to their servants, or have had that spell stolen from them. So you might have a, an NPC who does not have a mummy's magical power, but does have their immortality. He may be no more powerful than a middle-rank mage or an 11th generation vampire, but when he dies, his body will eventually return to life. And of course, defeating such a foe brings its own problems. An NPC in one of my games, a centuries-spanning Dark Ages game, had power similar to this. He was a mage who, when he died, would literally re be reborn as a baby each time. He had a successive progression of incarnations, however, retained his memory and much of his powers each time around. And he was eventually defeated when the characters found his newborn body, beheaded it, and bound his spirit into the baby's head, which they placed in a pickle jar, as I recall, uh, which takes us full circle back to the secret frequency. So, uh, oh, there you go. Let me cue up the music. <laughs> A handful of ways to uh, to portray the immortal reborn in your games, allies, enemies, or enigmas. Uh, as always, try it out and let us know your own experiences. And, uh, and if you do want to contact us, let's hear that for the 2010 mark. What is our email address? Darkerdaysradio at gmail dot com. That was uh, that was good, Mark. That was kind of a different tone and. I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> and you can always check us out at darkerdays.tk to uh, download all of our shows or visit, uh, visit us on the network, wildgamesproductions.com. And then we have our own forums there. You could sign up and chat away with our wonderful, wonderful forum community and ask away questions all you want. And we will be right back after this. <laughs> listening to the Darker Days podcast. More fun than being smacked in the head with a wooden board. 
Welcome back to uh, Darker Days. I always love, I love that bumper. That's my favorite one. Yes, the magical pen of Boggan Knight. He uh, does. He did an excellent job on that. I we appreciate that. Thank you very much. And uh, looks like we're going to head into the new world of darkness section, or uh, as people are referring it to these days, as new uh, as Wad 2.0, which I'm sick of seeing, by the way. <laughs> Because everybody's expecting a WAD 3.0 at this point, or a new New World of Darkness. Yay! Leads to that kind of expectation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But uh, I know we touched upon this in the past, Mark. I forgot what show it was, because since you've been doing our show Matrix and posting up all the old shows, maybe you can help me out here. We Did pro- Did we touch upon Promethean all? We did during the secret frequency that featured Blythe House. There was talk about having one of the relics in the Blythe House be a Pandoran or something along those lines, if I recall correctly. But we didn't go into much depth about it, right? There was a little talk about it, but I think that was with Matt McFarland, if I recall correctly, dredging back into the mists of time. Yeah, our very first guest, Matt, and uh, one of our very first first, uh, uh, writer listeners. If you're still listening mm-hmm. out there, uh, Matt, how you doing? But anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about Promethean tonight. Uh, first, I want to say it's an excellent covered book. I like the actual cover of the book. I like the whole like face coming out of the like the whole sheet and everything. That looks really cool. I like that effect. Good job, guys, at White Wolf. And now, a uh, little facts about this uh, game. It was announced in 2005, October of 2005, actually, and released in, oct- in August of 2006. So people had a good wait for this game, so... And it's also considered a limited release. So you really won't see much more for this along the lines of uh, Promethean, unfortunately. I haven't heard anything. Mark, have you heard anything at all? No, I mean, White Wolf have stated that they have a model of doing a short number, a number of short-run limited games like Promethean, like Geist, like Changeling. Now, Changeling got a couple of extra books because of demand. Uh, but Promethean uh, is set at the ones that we have so far. So make the right. best of what you have. Uh, just giving a quick look at this book, if you just flip open and look through the pages, you get the feeling of uh, you're playing a created being such as a legendary Frankenstein. And and if you do read through the book and a couple in the the fluff part of the book in the beginning, which uh, I know Mark you love to read, uh, yeah. they do <laughs> they do have a heavy influence on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. If everybody's familiar with that book and the horrible horrible movie that came out along with it anyway <laughs> that had helen bottom carter in it yeah but it wasn't that good um it's good enough <laughs> okay well we as we uh, dive a little further into this we see that the promethean the promethean beings are constructed from various rites and rituals with a mix of body parts of various corpses uh think of like a human jigsaw puzzle a hand cool. here a foot here you know mark's head here you know whatever <laughs> When a Promethean is brought into the world, they often, uh, when they when they reanimate, they often remember their previous life. So anything that they spoke in the previous life, they remember. Um, any of the abilities that they had in the previous life, such as maybe if they were an athletic person, they retain most of that ability. So um, the only thing they're lacking are souls. They don't have a soul whatsoever. But uh, what they, they call what animates them the divine fire. This divine fire is what uh, fuels the... Uh, I want to say a construct of the Prometheans. Now, it allows them to pass as, as a regular human from a distance. But say you get close to them and you start hanging out with them and you go on little journeys with them. Actually, humans tend to get that aura of untrust on them. And they start to get hatred and until it builds up until the fact of you want to kill the Promethean outright. Uh, so... 
that's not really a good thing. Think of uh, how in D&D how a paladin has the aura of good. Well, this is like an aura of horribility or whatever. So they're reaching for your torches and your pitchforks. So that really knowing why. Uh, yeah, that's they actually promote. They actually project bad feelings and a distrust aura about them. Cool. So the humans will become hateful, and so if a uh, Promethean spends too much time in one area, this builds up. So that's where the whole pitchfork and torches thing comes from. And also the land around them becomes like a total wasteland. Interesting. So, yeah, so that's why Prometheans have to be on the run. That's usually one of the telltale signs that Prometheans are around, but the, everything will start dying and withering away. So that's why they're always on the run so they can't be caught. Now, the Prometheans spend most of their life on a quest, or they call it the pilgrimage in the book, to obtain their soul. Their whole goal is pretty much to be a human again, feel that mortality, feel that soul again. And there's only a couple ways they could really do this, and one of them is by creating another Promethean, which is not an easy task. Uh, and that's part of their journey is to create one. So along the lines, there's some rules in there how to create them. They don't have any political structure because, well, they're Prometheans, and they're just kind of big, giant, you know, running around. But some of them are intelligent. And they have a couple refinements uh, in their uh, archetypes that refer to the great work, as which helps them redeem themselves to find their soul. And they have a couple lineages, and uh, I'm going to go over them real quick. They have the Frankenstein, so the wretches, which is, you know, just think Mary Sherry novel here. Uh, the Muses, and uh, is that Galatids, Mark? I'm not pronouncing that right. They are created for, uh, like, companionship. I think of Frankenstein, tr- creating Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein here. It's like One, the Pygmalion myth, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And then they have the Osirens, or the Nepri. Uh, they draw their energy, uh, their legacy of the children of a god. They often carry themselves with regal being, have various followers helping in their quest. So uh, think of uh, maybe like a Toreador type. I like the, 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 the correlation there between some of the the, uh, the splats and I mean the resurrection, actually. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and this, this, yeah. So it's nice to see that reflected. Uh, another one is the the golems or the golems as I pronounced and the mm. t- Tamazu. Yeah, I, I always used to say golems back in D and D until I was corrected. It was called golems. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> Tamazu. Otherwise, they, are, they have a, a conflicting history of tales. One of uh, Hebrew in origin, another uh, Babylonian myth. How they're actually created, and there's various stories how uh, a golem is created. So. Look that up, you know, if you want to check that out. And the um, the last one is called the Riven or the Ugalan. Ugalan. No, I'm not very good with names. The origin lies in shamanism, drawing from the initial rite, which helps the hopeful shaman's spirit body is placed inside the corpse, which makes them animate the corpse. It's not really a physical soul; it's just kind of more like their physical body being transferred into it, lacking, awesome. lacking the soul. Now, uh, onto their powers, which are kind of cool. Their powers are called transmutations. Each one has their own ability to transform and manipulate different types of physical or conceptual objects. Examples of this would be to uh, change their own body structure, elemental, I'm sorry, electrical matter, mind affecting uh, effects on people, and pyrotechnics. For some reason, when I think Promethean, uh, Mark, I'm thinking, uh, like, I don't know why, Clayface from Batman series of the cartoon, which had a oh, good, yeah. good run like five or six years ago. I always think Clayface for some reason. <laughs> Cool. And uh, that's what I have so far on Promethean. Mark, do you know what system they use for uh, uh, regaining immortality at all? Do you know a little bit more? No, I'm not, I'm not overly familiar with the game. Um, 
I've read a fair bit about it, but I don't actually own a copy of the Promethean book. But what, what little I know about it, I, I actually find quite fascinating. I love the concept of a game that, in, in, a, in a certain respect, emulates the road movie, you know, the, the road story. The fact that you are on a pilgrimage, your whole campaign is going to be based around the idea of moving from A to B to C to Z. Uh, and so many games feature that anyway without any real reason for it. And here you have something that's hardwired into the core concept of the game to take the story out on the road. I just like that as a core concept for the game anyway. Um, I love the idea that it can have an ending, that you can regain your mortality, that there can be a final chapter. Uh, and again, that's something that's built in. And I think that probably ties back into the idea that they released it as a limited line, so that perhaps you're not necessarily going to be expected to run a Promethean campaign for the next 15 years, <laughs> but here's something you can work on over the course of a summer or over the course of a holiday or a year or something and really tell a story of these characters from beginning to middle to end. Uh, I find that wonderful, a wonderful, ingenious approach within the, uh, uh, within the game's design. Well, and also, just what you mentioned just now, the various archetypes. Uh, yeah. Of course, you have the Frankenstein thing. Uh, you have the uh, the Pygmalion idea that someone has created a creature for there to be a companion. You know, um, there's the, the the golem from from the old Jewish myth. But then also, like you mentioned, the the Tammuz story, uh, the, the the created shepherd god from Babylonian myth. Um, that shamanism idea, I think, is fantastic. Uh, so they've managed to go into into mythology and find a number of of concepts. Uh, for a, a created entity that don't just re- require, you know, you to have watched a bunch of Boris Karloff films that actually can be, <laughs> can be, uh, you can actually find analogs for this in a number of myths and uh, and cultures all over the world. And I think that's a, a, a great bonus to have for the game, because it, it allows you to step away from the shambling image of a guy stitched together with someone else's arms and hands and heads, and into something more classical and more mythological. Uh, so yeah, very very strong. Uh, yeah, I don't see too many uh, long-term story uh, games going on with this. I, I I would think this would be like maybe a one or two shot thing, mm. just to uh, you know let people have some fun doing something different than a normal vampire or hunter or mage. Or- but yet at the same time, it's it's become hugely popular. When you read on the yeah. uh, on the internet forums, Promethean is one of those games that people just they rave about it and they just can't get enough of it. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact of, like I said, you know, it has a, a core story concept of, of travel and uh, the, the no man's life and alienation, and yet it can have an ending. There's something very pure and beautiful for your character to aspire to there. Um, and what it seems to me to manage to do is to get right down to one of the core concepts of all World of Darkness games, which is that you are you're an outsider, you know, you're a yeah. vampire who's lost his humanity and might yearn for it, but you can never have it. You're a werewolf who who is who is now a, a totally uh, you're a monster within your own family. You know, uh, a mage. Uh, you've seen the world for what it really is, and uh, there are things out there that really would rather you hadn't done that, and they're going to come and get you for it. Um, the Promethean seems to have distilled that core idea of alienation uh, down to its pure essence uh, so that the world rejects you, people reject you, you are by the very systems of the game forced to live a life on your own and search for that one thing that all the other supernatural splats have somehow in some way lost and you start out not having it at all and yet where, they are, where they've lost it for good as a Promethean, you can actually get it. You can actually get your humanity back. You can, you can achieve this simple, precious thing that no one else in the, no, none of the other supernaturals in the world of darkness can ever have. And I think that's probably what has made the game such a compelling success. 
Definitely, and the fact that you could be a big scary guy to smash things, people like that too. So yeah, that's cool too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, folks, that'll wrap up the new World of Darkness section, and uh, we're going to move on to our final uh, little segment here tonight. Uh, and Mark is looking at his show notes, going, "Huh?" But <laughs> I'm just going to fake it till we make it. Vince. That's right. That's our show motto: Darker Days Podcast, where we fake it till we make it. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> Actually, this is going to be what have you been up to? Because we did touch, uh, we did touch upon this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, what we did over the holidays. And uh, Mark, uh, what you uh, did you uh, get any time to play, or are you mostly just on vacation as usual? I was completely on vacation, um, not played at all in a, in a couple of months. Um, I hooked up with my regular Tuesday night gaming group um, on well Tuesday, <laughs> and we're going to meet again next Tuesday and start off what should be a short burst of primetime adventures. Uh, which, if anyone hasn't ever played Primetime Adventures, you've got to check this game out. Uh, it is fantastic. Some of the best gaming I've ever had has uh, been using this system. Really, really incredible. Um, other than that, I've mostly been refreshing eBay because I'm trying to sell one of my bass guitars. And I thought being a buyer was stressful. My God, being a seller is just a <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> Every has someone bid yet? No. Has someone bid yet? No. <laughs> you, you, so. you know, Mark, they do send you a thing when somebody bids. That, that just doesn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, what I've basically been doing over the holidays is uh, waiting for Mark to get back so we can do another show. Other than that, <laughs> uh, actually, my group has uh, gotten in back, and went back way back, way back. Let's talk 1980s back. First edition Dungeons & Dragons. Cool. We, uh, we cracked open the books, and uh, of course, everybody threw the books to me, and I... <laughs> I ran. Uh, uh, I have been actually running a large campaign with uh, them ever since uh, the last episode of this uh, involves. Uh, uh, you know that show that's over there in the UK, Merlin. Yeah, I've actually been basing it off of that with the uh, the whole Arthurian ledger just a little bit twisted up as King Uther is in charge and yes. Arthur's just a prince and. It, uh, there's just all the different characters. They just twist the legend. Great show. I've been using that as a frame of reference as I've just finished up season two of that show. Fun. Yeah, it's a good show. The campaign's actually running good. The magic users having a good time trying to hide his abilities from the king, and oh, cool. It's a fun, fun time. So, Is that? Are you managing to get that done regularly right now, or? Uh, uh, yeah, about every other week, or so like that. Awesome. Oh, good stuff. Uh, they, I'm trying to get them to get back into, you know, playing vampire or something, but just, you know, when people get stuck on something, they get stuck on something, and if you want to play, you want to play. Well, my hope is after prime time, we can get back to my mage campaign, but, uh, yeah, there you go. Just obsessed with the purple, that's me. <sighs> well, thus your name is purple in the forums, too, so. Uh, oh, yeah, it's true, actually. You never cool. noticed that? No, I never noticed the correlation. There you go. And you also said you were playing Pathfinder as well? Yeah, I have uh, a long-running uh, Pathfinder campaign that went on hold for a lot of last year because I was running a lot of Mage and other stuff instead. Um, but I spoke to some of the players just the other day, and we're going to be kicking that off on a, on Friday evenings um, sometime in the next month or two. We've got some scheduling stuff to work out then. But yeah, that'd be fun. A uh, nice big ap apocalyptic demons coming to kill the world kind of stuff. So yeah, good. Sounds like fun. Uh, I was looking at Pathfinder the other day, and I was like, oh, that might be a good game. Never really looked at it. Never really got into third edition point five. Did you play the third edition? So, anyway. Well, the, the advantage is the Pathfinder book is big enough that you can hit unruly players with it too. So, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the show for this week. This is the Darker Days podcast, episode number fifteen, the official unofficial podcast of White Wolf. Uh, we'll be coming back next week with some special guests, and uh, we'll talk about I think Changeling Mark, right? 
Yes, the most requested subject, the most requested game since the beginning of Darker Days is finally going to hit the airwaves. All right, folks, have a great night. This is Vince signing off for Mark. Have a good night, folks.